unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome. My name's Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to Retro Ramble. This month, we're going to be taking a look at Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Cash and Tango. We'll get back to that in a minute. So, George, why have we decided to do this film? I stress the word why. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a little bit of a different direction for A change us. of pace. A change of pace. At Retro Ramble, we're always about looking back at the films that Charlie and I, we're brothers that we've grown up with and looking at how these films hold up why they meant so much to us why they're still relevant today yeah what why they yeah why they make a difference uh, as a classic blockbuster so george why is tango and cash still relevant so that is the question that we are exploring <laughs> looking today. to answer today um, we in some ways we've given in to uh, fan demand and I think, in, in all honesty, we just didn't want to be a sort of, a, you know, a jukebox playlist. This is not about us. It's this not... is about the films of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, exactly. We, we are, we are committing to that, you know, that, that time frame, 80s and 90s. It's, it's a block, an action blockbuster. It's got Sylvester Stallone, who was very hot at the time. 1989, you know, at the top of his, uh, you know, game. Kurt Russell. You've got the producers of Batman. This is shortly off the back of Beverly Hills Cop. You've got the same soundtrack guy, Harold Faltermeyer, as Beverly Hills Cop. I would never have thought that based on the soundtrack. What could go wrong? So, you know, it's ticking all the boxes for a classic retro ramble episode. So, George, uh, I think, as per usual, before we go any further, a uh, quick word from George on some general housekeeping. This may be a film from way back in the 1980s, but we are going to spoil it. Indeed. So, um, I could try this in the, in the style of Sylvester Stallone, but... I don't think what it... you mean say, cramming 15 words <laughs> into a, into a <laughs> second. We are not from this, but we won't do that. Um, so, yeah, we... Um, you know the drill if you've listened to us before. Um, we are not film journalists. We are, we are brothers doing this out of our love of film. Um, We're taking a look back at these films. We're looking back at the 80s and 90s. But we are analysing these films with care and attention. Indeed. So it's uh, we are going to go into these films in detail. That means there will be spoilers from the very beginning. There's likely to be swearing, so be careful if you have any young children around. And uh, finally, there might be some bad impressions. In this episode in particular, there's more than likely to be several Jack Plants impressions, some dodgy Stallone impressions and I don't really have anything for Kurt Russell I'll be honest he's amazing I can do an impression of his hair but it doesn't work well on, on a podcast on, on radio um, so there we have it um, so George what are we uh, recording this on so well it's <laughs> I, I'm not sure what get up you've got set up but if you have seen the film I have employed the best audio editor in the business that has taken our voices from other podcasts and has created a whole brand new podcast. He's mixed them all together. Mix them all together because you could do that in the 80s. Yeah, you just cut, cut splices of tape. On with the show. Meet Ray Tango. He likes money, but doesn't bother with cash. Meet Gabe Cash. He won't dance around trouble and doesn't mind stepping on toes. I hate your karate, guys. Two of L.A.'s top rival cops are having a tough time staying in rhythm. But they're going to have to work together, even if it kills them. Did you sleep with my sister? I was so drunk, I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell. <laughs> Tango.
tango and cash. I think we need to start off. I don't know if you got this when you started playing the film, but maybe it was just a personal message for me. When I started watching this, as soon as I pressed play, I heard Stallone go, let's do this. <laughs> and then it cut to a Beverly Hills Cop light soundtrack. It's so Was weird. that just me? No, but it was so weird. It's like, I don't know what's going on in this film. Like normally at this point in the show, George and I talk about first memories of a film. Now, the important thing to remember here, listeners, is that George and I have no first memories of Tango and Cash. We know that we watched it. We know that we saw it when it came out. We didn't see it at the cinema. We watched it on video. I remember watching it alone by myself in my early teens. And, and crying. If that you... doesn't say anything, I don't know what does. I wasn't with you. I wasn't with a friend. There's, there's two terms that you will hear. Com- I mean, we... We thoroughly enjoyed this film. If you've not seen this film for a long time, we and the makers would like to encourage you to go and watch it again. Honestly, it's hilarious. It's confusing. It should. There's so much, so many weird tones and stylistic dis, uh, decisions made. We think it should be called Troubled and Confused. It was originally called The Setup, but they went with Tango and Cash. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, before we go any further, if you're drinking right now, the drinking game for Tango and Cash while wa- watching the oh, film... is the keywords. However, we have to stipulate, drink responsibly, whenever anybody says the word Tango... Or you, Cash. Or Cash, you take half a sip. <laughs> when anyone refers to somebody else as being crazy or or they must be crazy, or the use of crazy, um, that's also half a sip. If there's any really bad one-liner that falls flat and doesn't make anyone laugh, that is also half a sip. Anyway, those are the drinking rules. For watching the film. I'm not sure we'll leave those in. But um, we've done housekeeping. George, how did this film get made? What? Who are the production people? Why do we have this film? As I quickly... Surmised, uh, touched on. Uh, I like the word touched on. I like you touching things. Touch on in the intro. Um, officially, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, listeners. Um, this is a film by Andrei Konchalovsky, a Russian director who is probably best known for a, a film in the early 80s called Runaway Train. It was critically acclaimed. It had John Voight and Eric Roberts, uh, and they were both Oscar nominated. And so he was, you know, quite a sort of a, a, a hot ticket in terms of, you know, he was a hot property. He'd shown what he could do. He'd shown what he could do. So he'd established himself in Russia. He'd done a big American film, you know, that sort of transition. This was going to be his big Hollywood effort. It was produced by John Peters and Peter Guber. Of Batman fame of the same year. Of the exact same year. So we've talked about in detail, you know, if you have an hour and a half on your hands, go back and listen to our Batman episode. We will talk about uh, that in detail. And it's also a film that we have a lot more fondness for (laughs) than Tango and Cash. We have a lot more fondness for a lot more films than this. But this film is still an enigma. So... If you look back at it in terms of the sort of the pedigree behind it, in terms of the production company, a, you know, a credible director, good stars, things like that, should a sure thing, surely. However, the interesting thing about this film, it was beset with problems from the start. So, again, I'm going to leap ahead, but uh, in terms of coulda, woulda, shoulda, the intended star uh, to play the role of Gabriel Cash. Patrick Swayze dropped out and did th- that message get to the costume design team well I think if you remember me talking about in our Point Break episode I used to as a child I used to get confused between Patrick Swayze and Kurt Russell I think Tango Cash is the reason George and I think the obviously the casting um, agent has, has come up with the same thing because Patrick Swayze was intended to be the star, but he dropped out to do Roadhouse. Right. Um, but I do think that he left his dirty dancing wardrobe outfit on the floor. Kurt Russell puts it on. So, yeah, Kurt Russell comes in. Um, Amazing hair. Um, 
Kurt Russell's always got amazing. Wearing the latest mullet. I mean, I think did Kurt Russell invent the mullet? Well, I think I think Patrick Swayze would fight you for that claim. Filming began without a completed script, so that's not a great start. It got even worse with after one week, Stallone fired the original director of photography, a guy called Barry Sonnenfeld, who I know that name. Yes, many people will know because he's a man that directed the Adams Family films, the Men in Black trilogy. He originally started off as the um, director of photography for all the Coen Brothers films, like throughout the eighties. So he's quite a an accomplished director and cinematographer, and he also did Get Shorty as well. But apparently, according to reviews, um, Stallone didn't like the way he was being lit. <laughs> on a scene and had him fired. So that was the the power that uh, Stallone had. And then after three months of filming, so quite, you know, that's probably the most, in, mo- in film terms, that's a decent chunk of the filming time. After three months, uh, Colonel Ch- Cholofsky was fired by producer John Peters in a dispute over the movie's ending, saying it was being too serious it wasn't fun. Um, Sounds like The Expendables. So, yeah. So, uh, Konchalovsky was, was fired. They brought in a new director, Albert Mangoli, who was basically drafted in to reshoot some scenes at the start and re, re-film, re-script uh, the entire uh, last third act of the film. I'll do whatever you want, Sly! So, ultimately, the film went over... 20 million over budget. I had to be completely re-edited by a guy called Stuart Baird, who is an acclaimed director who worked on loads of Richard Donner films. He also did loads of re-editing on Demolition Man, apparently. Another uh, Stallone film. Apparently, despite being fired, uh, Konchalovsky had nothing but praise for Stallone and said, despite his ego and decision to fire the original cinematographer... And ability to get me future work. And basically end up getting the director fired, he was a one person that held the project together and was a constant voice of reason on an increasingly chaotic set. Another one of the, the crew members apparently said in an interview, this was the worst organised, most poorly prepared film I have ever been on in my life. From the first day we started, no one had a clue what anyone was doing. Well, I mean, that says a lot. I mean, it just sounds to me, this film was a mess. And I think we we talked about this when uh, we were trying to retrace our steps onto how was this made possible in a film of 19, like in the year of 1989. How did a film like this happen? And I said to you that I believe, I, I truly believe that Stallone's agent, or maybe the voice inside, inside Sylvester Stallone's head, was saying, "You need a comedy vehicle. You need to do an Eddie Murphy." Because this, well, well, I know you, you talk about like first memories, and whilst we don't have, well, I don't have any particular, uh, you know, any first memories of this film. I remember my mate saying to me. Oh, have you seen this film, Tango and Cash? Stallone plays a completely different character. He's got glasses and everything. He looks like a geek and he's wisecracking. It's it's nothing like Rambo. And that's what he was kind of hoping he was going to do. But yes, maybe to a a small child or a, a teenage child that might have, you know, passed the test. But it's clearly like he sat there hulking in Armani suits. Yes, he's wearing glasses, but... He's not a refined gentleman. Well, maybe in contrast to Kurt Russell, who has, as you say, walked off the set of Big Trouble in Little China. Well, somebody didn't get the the notes from the costume team because I think Stallone's like, it's the 80s, three-piece suits are in. I want a scene with me in a three-piece suit talking to my police captain, who I've got complete rule over. And I've also got complete rule over the stock market. People ask me for stock tips. This film has taught me so much about Sylvester Sloan. Like, he is no longer an enigma. Like, to me, we've obviously features on the show a lot. Arnie played a lot of different roles. He positioned himself in a number of different ways. 
he tried to ridicule himself, he was ridiculed, he did what he was good for. And this film to me is Sylvester Stallone trying to show that there is more depth to him when in fact there isn't. What I'm going to play devil's advocate here is the fact that yes this is a complete vanity project this is it's him. not Copland no, well that's it it's him trying to play against type but his ego's in the way he wants to play the geeky guy the the arm oh, wearing a suit I've got glasses Does but he yet he's still, he's still an action hero he's still got all the quippy lines he's still whereas, whereas his best his best roles have been in Copland and Rocky Creed and Rocky well, yeah, Rocky Ways. No, but recently, like, yeah. Copland and Creed, where he's playing the slightly dim-witted... Schlubby. Schlubby, slow-talking, Sylvester Stallone-looking type character, <laughs> I believe are the roles that he was made for. No, I mean, all joking aside, his best roles have been Copland and Creed and Rocky. Well, the, the interesting thing was that, yeah, this wouldn't normally crop up on... I mean, with... With what we do with Retro Ramble, there is, there's so many films out there that we can talk about. And this is a bit of an anomaly. And, but this was actually suggested by one of our, um, our fans, our followers on Facebook. I can't <laughs> find the one person that recommended this No, there was a film. few people who asked for this. But, um, there was one person who recommended it for a good reason. But because it's so bizarre it's a really as we say troubled and confused this is not time and cash this is a, a very strange film no you need to watch this film because nobody knows i mean we haven't even started talking about the film yet and we don't know what's going on yeah let's dive into it okay let's do it I think the the interesting thing about this is like it's a trashy film but looking back at this trouble production you think they were making Anthony and Cleopatra but it has this so, is supposed to be a buddy cop film but has so many parallels with what's going on in Hollywood today I mean we've talked about in uh, in our yearly review we talked about the trouble production of Justice League there's, you know, it's quite widely publicised about the recent Star Wars films, whether it's, you know, Rogue One or the new Han Solo film, changing directors, changing the tone of a story that's not sitting right with what the producers want. And it's quite funny to see this was happening, you know, it's, it's been happening for years, but now we're more, as you say, we're well, more... Well, the industry's more, yeah, the industry's more associated with it more comfortable with it so should we get into the main review the main review i thought we were still talking about sylvester stallone's oh forget about yeah i mean it's his production company the opening scene is apparently completely believable completely believable it's a complete rip-off of a scene from a jackie chan film called police story which we've both watched don't which, which we've totally watched but apparently it's a shot for shot remake like in terms of him loading the gun oh no the guy's coming out of the uh, out of the windscreen yeah coming out the windscreen it is a you know scene for scene ripoff that doesn't say that Stallone hasn't got an imagination that just says that he appreciates cinema and that he wasn't scraping the bottom of the barrel when he inserted this into his own film this film this scene has no correlation to the rest of the film does it well well no it it shows what a maverick cop it also shows how close to the action Ray Tango is. So we basically have a drug deal. It's not really a drug deal. It's drugs being transported across the desert, closely followed by the drug it, kingpin. It, it could, I'm, I'm already confused, George. Can you explain what's happening? It could easily be an outtake from Beverly Hills Cop 2. You have a tanker driving by some jazzy sort of 80s synth music. So, yeah, you have Stallone doing this heroic drug bust. He's a maverick cop. Empties all the bullets out of his gun before shooting it. Why? Doesn't matter. Because he did it in police story and it looks cool. He's operating outside of his jurisdiction. How do we know? Because he talks very fast into his walkie-talkie at the start. Drop dead. I've been on this case for three months. All right, I'm going around. 
It's basically showing off how much of a maverick cop Ray Tango is. How much of a maverick cop, well-dressed, clean-cut, spectacle-wearing... Shoots first. Uh, I don't know. Quips later. And then, completely unexplicably... No, no, then all the other tra- the state troopers arrive, like, so, just shortly after. Then the traffic jam arrives. But then what's in the traffic jam, George? Well, we've got... The bad guy of the piece. Who just happens to be in the traffic jam that's been caused by the drug bust in of his the limo. drugs of the guy who's in the limo. So we've got, yeah, the main bad guy, Jack Palance, and I think his name is... Uh, Yves Perret. Yves Perret. Because nobody knows how to pronounce, pronounce French. French things. It should be Yves Perret, but it's Yves Perret. Oh, I think they call him... Perret. They do. They do. Call, no, Perret. That's it. Perret. He's he's Eve's Perret. Because there's the dialogue in this film is so bad. There's I a lot of ADR. I don't think I ever picked up on his surname, but I'm just going to call him throughout this review. I'm going to call him Jack Palance. So it cuts to in the limo. You've got Jack Palance being slightly silly, just saying tango and cash lots. It's. Welcome to the Tango and Cash drinking game. Should we should we cut to uh, some fo- footage of him just saying Tango and Cash lots? Ray, Tango, he's done it to us again. And if it isn't Tango, it's Cash. Tango and Cash, Cash and Tango. These two cops are driving me crazy. Well, how does one detective from the west side of Hollywood? and one detective from the east side of Hollywood combine into a film that was called The Setup. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that a drug dealer is stuck in traffic behind his own drugs shipment. It also doesn't make any sense that he knows the name of the police officers who've been doing his busts. He wouldn't know that unless he has so much control on the inside. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. There's some really odd dialogue throughout this film and in the opening you've got Stallone being really sassy. Yeah. You've got him Captain Sassy Pants. Yeah, he's he's got all these quips like the So many one liners, so many really unfunny, stereotypical, racist, just not funny one liners. Yeah, it's throughout the film. We quickly cut to you've established uh Ray Tango is what about Gabriel Cash? What's he all about? Well, thankfully, we've got some wacky comedy music playing, some sort of electric sort of yazoo, and it's Kurt Russell in a car being followed by lots of kids. I'm not entirely sure why, but the soundtrack screams to me, this guy is a real joker. Yeah, it's it's all very cookie-cutter, so it quickly establishes that Kurt Russell's a bit of a slobby comic character and then all of a sudden he's ambushed by a Chinese assassin in his own home that quickly evolves into a car park chase Um, he's also actually a plant by the um, it's also a plant he's actually been planted to give him false information of a drug deal which they can use to frame him but there's also... Really, really straightforward. It, well, it, it, I don't understand why you're not following It the paves the way for some comedy-friendly fr- uh, action. Let's speed up, let's speed up the, uh, the prisoner in the toilet scene. Well, yeah, it's, it's let's speed up the prisoner. They're in a car park. There's a foreigner going, my car, my car. You crazy guy! What did you do with my car? I believe in perestroika! Welcome to America! A bit like View to a Kill. Um, there's, for some reason, there's a couple having sex in the car, so you get to see some boobs. George. 80s. TNA all the way, baby. Tits and ass. It's the 80s, baby. And then finally, we're back with uh, Stock Market Ace. I don't know if anyone's really made uh, any point of that. But then he's giving his sister, none other than Terry Hatcher. And I remember the f- one of the first times watching going, oh, yeah, that's the girl from... The New Adventures of Superman. And now people are like, isn't that the girl from... Well, that wasn't Desperate Housewives, or...? Now she's just a desperate housewife. No, I think uh, we love Terry Hatcher. She does a great job, and she... She was very good in New Adventures of Superman. She's been very good in a lot of things, and she's actually good in Desperate Housewives. Not that I've ever watched it or would know. But she does her job 
in this film it's just a shame that she's slightly disrespected throughout um can i just ask you a question who has been playing with gabriel cash's gun i mean he is a serious police officer he's in a station and he's just left one of his guns in his drawer and somebody's been playing with it i mean george you're starting to sound like somebody who didn't get the plot point earlier on about his gun being used in a murder i mean i mean it's not his gun you did get that no, no, it is his gun. It's not his gun. It's not his gun? Right, we're just going to take a little tangent here. This, this might stay in the episode or it might not. It's not his gun. His gun's been taken from him and it's used in the frame-up later in the film. That's right. why he spots the sights are off. Oh. His real gun is then revealed later on in the setup. In the, in the setup. I thought it was just the fact that to show that he was very careless about where he left his gun. <laughs> I just think you haven't realised how multi-layered this plot is, George. Okay, so he's not careless with his gun. <laughs> However, he, he is very careless he with is, his gun. He is quite happy to... And quite careless with his wardrobe. ...interrogate a man in the toilets. I'm really confused about I'm, this. I, I didn't know is what the, was happening is, here. is the interrogation room in the toilets? No, what I didn't understand here was this is like... It's a three-in-one, so it's the cop's locker room because... He needs yeah. to get changed. So the first camera angle is him getting changed. And you understand he needs to get changed. Then there's the second thing that the prisoner is locked up. Then there's the third angle that Which there's he, actually the toilets. Needs, the prisoner needs to piss. There's, there's, there's toilets and the showers in the background. So I don't know why they're all brought together in the same scene. It kind of makes me think... money. <laughs> it kind of makes me think... Short on budget. Why don't we combine all these three scenes into one well that's exactly what i'm thinking what i'm thinking is that this room was set up for three different camera angles <laughs> but we got it only through one and that's no, why no, no, because they're like we can shoot three different scenes in this one room but we might have to let the audience know. they were running out of money weren't they 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 did because it shows we're going to touch on this yeah this film was having to get more and more economic and that's why the plot which starts off being ludicrous is actually slightly adjusted to, I don't know, work in line with the lack of funds. Talking of spending unnecessary money on things, we cut, what, another scene with uh, Yves Perret, Jack Palance. And Jack is telling his minions his genius plan. One of my favourite scenes of the film. So Tango just- and Cash are like two little mice so much damage but just to fill you all in here like Perrette's business partners shall we call them so basically Kurt mm. Russell's running straight from Big Trouble from Little China he and happens to have brought with him the James, bad guy James Hong James Hong from, and he's like yeah I could be like a henchman so he's, he's dovetailed in there no problem so we got these two guys. The other guy is Papshmir from... Um, I did not notice that. Not realise. Well, I could be actually way off here, but he looked to me... No, I think, I think you're right. Papshmir from um, Naked Gun. Is it Naked Gun? Must Gun? kill Papshmir. Is it the first one? Anyway, that's yeah. a tangent. Anyway, they, they're not convinced by plants. They look at him, they're like, he's crazy. And he's like, oh, I'm not crazy. And he's fucking absolute lunatic. Bring me my mice. So, Brian James, is it Brian? Brian? Brian, let's go on Brian. Let's go on Brian. Brian, bring me my mice. Brian brings him a box with mice in. He takes them out and, and names them Tango and Cash. And then he brings out the pre made, what do we call it? The mouse maze? Well, I've got my notes. Bond villains have elaborate maps. Obviously, we've talked about Christopher Walken and his plan of Silicon Valley. The architect that made the table that just turned into a map. We, with this film, we have Jack Palance, who has an elaborate mouse maze that's maybe like a prison, or is it just a literal metaphor? No, but how does that work? So imagine you're a drug kingpin. You've got a factory like Jack Palance. It's full of guns. You've got a bunch of guys outside in four by fours with spotlights and rocket launchers just waiting for... And monster trucks. Waiting for the finale to happen. You know what? 
at some point I'm going to have to explain my master plan to my partners in this business. And I don't like to just monologue. I need props. Uh, well, as, as well I'm as use looking, two mice. I've got a bank. I've got a wall of TV screens. You've got the wall of TV screens. Yes. I'm doing the bad guy role. I need to be more evil. So what are you going to do with the mice? Well, I need... So he... How about I kiss them first before I put them in the He sniffs them. He kisses the mice. No, the fact is, in this film, he... Somebody... <laughs> like, we're expected to believe that the character invested in somebody building a scaled model maze for these two mice i think i think Did Brian I, james was that his job go, I, th- go I, I, I think yves perret uh is is a very eves perret eves perret is a very complicated man he's a very thorough man and i think and he, also what, he's jack palance he's also jack palance <laughs> so he can do whatever the fuck he likes he's come off the back Uh, of Batman well that's it I think there's me going off on a tangent but if you look at this film came out like a few months after Batman it's the same producers almost like nobody had thought about it it's the same producers it's got one of the same actors it's probably got well maybe not the same budget but it's amazing, like, these films are months apart and quality-wise they are so different. I think it speaks volumes for, for Tim Burton as a novice director back in, the, back in the day that he was like, yep, I've got this comic property, I've got these mental producers who are obviously like, do this, yeah, just throw it in. I've got Jack Palance. So, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's just amazing that those two films are, you know, leaps apart, but they're only months apart. <laughs> Um, we then go to the setup. I think I remember thinking this when I was in my early teens. The gun that Kurt Russell has with the massive laser sight seems a little bit unorthodox for a an LA city cop. George, let me ask you this. Is it a plot device? Does it move the plot along? Does he use it at all? No, no, and no. So you're right. But, it, does it look good? It looks amazing. Does his haircut... Is his haircut necessary? Does it move the plot along? I've got a question for you. Whose hair's better? Terry Hatcher or Kurt Russell? Kurt Russell, without a shadow. Green to screen. Who uh, would you prefer to take you home? Go for a diner dinner with, you know, some steaks? Totally Kurt Russell. Just chill out. Um, so anyway, so they're framed for murder because, <laughs> for reasons, you've got a bad guy. Because, for reasons. For reasons. George, no, hang on. Can we just stop here and have a spinny newspaper headline um, come up and remind us I'm where we are I'm not entirely at. sure why they're in prison. Oh, What's no, wait. What's happening, George? What's happening? We well, need news- we, we, we've talked about economic exposition in a lot of our episodes. None more economic than this, than... Tango and Cash arrested. Tango and Cash, it's not my gun. Tango and Cash, some guy died. There are newspaper articles relating to each day in the court. Tango and Cash And there's photos of them in the court reacting to the news that's actually the headline. (laughs) That's what I love. It's like, here's a picture of how they reacted to this headline. I think one of the headlines is Tango and Cash in court for killing a person with their own guns or something like that. It was descriptive it's it's very very close to the nose do you know how deep it does go though if you look closely if you pause the video the uh, newspaper articles beneath the photos the actual copy are complete completely wrong articles anyway so they're sent to prison they're then sent to a prison they shouldn't be sent to because reasons because of reasons and that's when Sylvester Sloan stands up and says thank god I finally get to make the shower scene that I always wanted to make George the shower scene explain so they're sent to this horrible uh, prison um, this horrible scene they're set up and sent to a prison into which they will be beaten up and killed however first of all they get to have a shower first of all they get to have a shower together by themselves with nobody else it's not weird at all. There's this whole scene where... Kurt Russell's looking at Sylvester Stallone's penis. <laughs> <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> I mean, um, maybe I'm speeding along, but George, there's... correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> there's, there's this whole scene 
where it's just the two of them in the showers. It's really steamy. They're both slick. It's not steamy. That's the problem I have with it. It's not steamy. It's just Kurt no. Russell, Sylvester Sloan in a bathroom. There's no water. And Kurt no. Russell just looks at his penis and goes, okay, Pee-wee. I just feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about the scene. It's Uncomfortable, They're both we? naked. They both make jokes about each other's dicks or appendages. It's not funny. It's just weird. Really weird. It's just weird. So they have a shower together. This is after they've entered the prison and Sylvester Sloan has pulled a guy into the bars and caught, accused him of being Conan because he hates Arnie. And there's a few other... Yeah, there's a few other... Well, there's the... Well, we are actually forgetting about line of dialogue from the opening scene with the truck that's well, in You our, may have heard a few times in our own opening trailer. That's in our opening trailer. Rambo is a pussy. But this is fourth wall breaking from the get-go. Um, because this is a new type of comedy. You've got this whole prison scene. You've got Stallone's teamed... Uh, he's got a... Or, he's teamed somebody. Well, he, he's got a very odd roommate in prison, which is Cliff Howard, brother of Ron Howard, who is really weird and has a slinky, you know, the one of those metal springs for some reason, quickly launches into a massive prison fight that is like something out of a Duran Duran video. There's lots of dried ice. There's lots of spotlights. Fully orchestrated in the bowels of this prison without anybody knowing. Any Apart from Jack Palance. <laughs> And Jack Palance turns up. How does he get there? He gets Why? into the prison and out of the prison. Why is Jack Palance I think in it's, prison? I think it's meant to be, this is power. how powerful I am. I can get you anywhere. I can be anywhere. If I want to turn up in the laundry room of a men's prison and leave just before you get tortured, then I can do it. Ah, the infamous cash and tangle. Dishonoured, imprisoned... What a shameful fall from glory. And who are you? Just think of me as somebody who doesn't like you very much. But it's it's so odd in terms of the whole plan. It's like, no, we can't kill them. You'll make them martyrs. So we'll put them in prison. And then we'll kill them. But I'll appear first. But no, but it's more batshit crazy than that because it's like, why does he go to the prison? He goes to the prison because... To tell them the plan. No, 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 but this is the best thing. He goes to the prison because he wants them to know that he's put them in prison. But does he show his face? Does he reveal himself? No. Does, so he, he, does he show the mice? No. no. So where are the mice, Charlie? Where are the mice? I don't know where the mice are. But what I'm saying is he, the whole point of him going to the prison is so he can reveal himself. He stays in the shadow and he doesn't reveal himself. So he could have actually played a tape or sent somebody else. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Playing a tape. You know, that could okay, be anybody. Okay, he could have played a VCR. That, no, like, that could be the anybody. That's what we've learned in this film. That but like, anyone's voice can be We haven't got to that bit yet. We haven't got to that bit. But like, why, why travel to the prison to reveal yourself in shadow? They don't know who he is. They well, don't know who he is. It's the most frustrating well, thing about that scene. All I'm saying is maybe the mice told him he needed to go there. No, but is he actually really there? What, like it's a dream? It's maybe it's a protection from Brian James or Brian uh, James. Okay. No, Brian James, well, is a big guy. He's obviously got very big shoulder pads, but he wants to make an impression. So for like he was like, I had two two lines originally in this film and I was like, How am I gonna stand out from Jack Palance? And I'll I'll go with a Cockney accent. We've already established that Stallone had a lot of control on this film. He's acting against Stallone. Stallone's like I love your accent. I love it. I love it. And Stallone obviously is a very good person to check these things with. And and takes this guy's two lines and create turns him into one of the main bad guys in the film. You've got this guy turning and going, Oh, you bloody shit of wankers. Oh, <laughs> Kevin Costner's accent, Robin Hood, was better. It was all I'm going to say. It, 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 it is up there with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, blimey. It's bad. So, they need to escape 
thankfully... The warden turns up and he already has an escape plan. The, the warden turns up, they know the warden. No. Kurt Russell knows the warden. No, sorry. The warden is a fan of Kurt Russell's <laughs> hair. The, the warden has seen big trouble in Little, Little China. China. Remembers him. He loves like, his work. Wants a sequel. And gives him a very established uh, escape plan. Sly's not a big fan of it. What could go wrong? Sly doesn't have any uh, script in this part. So. so Kurt Russell decides to escape by himself. Trying to, <laughs> trying to escape from here, he must be crazy. Then discovers his mate has been killed. One of the prisoners is leading the police to find Kurt Russell. The so prisoner who is referred to as Conan, who has a really big jaw. Massive jaw. So they decide to go with Stallone's escape plan because Stallone says to... It's much more realistic. Stallone says to Kurt Russell, or Tango says to Cash... <laughs> Um, Drinking game. Um, so anyway, they they're escaping. It's it's a rainstorm. There's so much water during. They're this. really wet. They're they're wet. They're in little vests. They're in prison. The, their clothes are somewhat skin tight. <sighs> Feel a little bit uncomfortable. George, it is Valentine's Day. Just um, let, it, let it loose. The one question I have is their escape plan is sliding down a power cable, a power line. Using your belt. No, no, no. It's much more safe than that. So basically, they have to uh, jimmy their way through a highly intricate series of power cables, like basically uh, a power station, and then jump off a roof onto... A power line. A power line and slide down to safety. But use a belt. No, they jump onto the power line. No, George, you didn't get the 101 safety lesson from Kurt Russell from Big Trouble in Little China. That's your plan. Yeah. We're gonna fry. You don't know anything about electricity, do you? No. As long as you're only touching one wire and you're not touching the ground, you don't get electrocuted. Science. But the way that Stallone nods kind of convinces me that it's the first time he's had it explained to him. <laughs> so they escape from prison. Do they? Well, sorry. I mean, Kurt Russell does, but I mean, no, no. The news news of their escape reaches Yves Perret. Yves Perret. Yves. So news of their <laughs> escape reaches Eve Perret. Yeah, there you go. go right. Yeah, you go right. right. Yeah, and Jack's Jack Jack is in his in his lair with his two little mice. And the prison, the people who are all corrupt on the prison side, are trying to relay to him that they have not been able to kill them. The plan has gone horribly wrong. So what and does he do? Jack just just cradles his mice and he just gives like the look to, to Brian James like leave me alone with my mice and it's almost like Palance is left alone with his mice he's in a secret lair by himself and he's like why did I build that maze I should have come up with a better plan what's that Tango a better maze maybe I would have liked to have actually seen I don't I'm not even sure that we need the two extra mob bosses. You mean the guy from Big Trouble in China and uh, Papshmir? Yeah, I mean, basically they were brought in on wardrobe. The fact is that everyone in this film, I mean everyone... Is a stereotype. No, no, everyone in this film has done better work elsewhere. So I hear what you're saying. This is basically like uh, where they're cashing checks type film. We haven't even got to well. So they've where just, are we in this film? We, we where, that's only the first ten minutes. Where when are we? <laughs> where are we? So for some reason, Kurt Russell goes to LAPD's research and development lab. Oh, Q, 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 Q branch, Q, Q lab, because he knows a guy that makes gadgets. This is Kurt Russell's friend, Owen. So, Owen, who I'd like to say is a... It's like Q Branch out of Bond, but the way it's delivered, it's more like Algernon from Never Say Never Again. It's just like a cheap man's cheap man's... Why is it necessary? Well, no, it's such a gear change into a gritty police, you know, cop drama. Oh, no, there's... It's a Bond film. We're we're, we're, we're in a... The scene is completely unnecessary. What's it's, it's completely out of kilter of what everyone's doing. It's like, oh yeah, we've got some gadgets and stuff over there, and there's your next clue. Go over there. So, 
Kurt Russell goes to, well, it's, it's a 1980s action film, so where does he go? A strip club. But this is no other strip club. You've got wind machines. This is one of the best strip clubs. Oh, so one of the best scenes in the film. You've got chicks on motorbikes. Terry Hatch is back. Uh, she's wearing a lovely silver bikini thing. Uh, Yazoo's playing, don't go. And she all of a sudden, she's like, where's my, where's my drumsticks? And starts playing this, like, supposedly erotic drum solo. But completely out of tune. I think it's the, inst- it's the instrumental part of Yaz's. Uh... No, but it's completely out of tune now. Oh no, but you don't worry about that. But you kind of because get... it's sexy. No, and you it's should not... be aroused. No, I mean I am aroused right now. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, I'm think, not. I'm not. Aroused. I think she was obviously told. This, don't worry about it. The soundtrack will be put in afterwards. So do I need to beat in time? Yeah, sure. I mean, just just beat like a one two one two. But I think the sound was obviously added later. She didn't realise that she was completely out of time with Yaz. I think it's Yaz, isn't it? Is ya- it Yaz? Yaz or Yazoo? I've got Yazoo. Anyway, the most important thing is that it's an 80s film set in a strip club. What does that mean? Boobs. But you know what we really need to see? Kurt Russell in drag. I've been waiting till this would come up because this was kind of before uh, Fu Wazoo, Patrick Swayze, who was not available for this film. He looks like Patrick Swayze in that film. He also looks like Patrick Swayze when he's wearing the Patrick Swayze getup from Dirty Dancing, when he's walking around. What's that top? It's How would you describe the top, which is like Puffy. wide at the bottom, wide at the shoulders. You can't see any of Kurt Russell. And he's wearing black pants, which kind of tapering at the bottom it's Patrick Swayze out of Dirty Dancing I, don't... Pa- I think it's known as Patrick Swayze casual Patrick Swayze is amazing but dressing up like him Kurt Russell's mullet is amazing it is but like dressing up like Patrick Swayze in a film that Patrick Swayze was meant to be in is a little bit meta for my liking <laughs> but the the thing that's just like so many moments in this film is just like what what yeah, if we're losing um, ourselves in this review, we're not sure no, of a lot of things that happen so, in this film. So, Terry Hatcher smuggles out Kurt Russell out of this strip club. In drag. In drag. As you do. And big, But at the same time... The police see them. The police... Well, a police officer. The, no, the police... see sees something no, no, suspicious. No, the police are busting the strip club. And what would any policeman investigating a bust do? And he just looks at Terry Hatcher and a very mannish... Kurt Russell, he goes, hey, any chance of a three-way? What kind of a policeman says that? He's being thorough. He's, he's investigating all avenues. I mean, I would understand it if it was just some random guy, but it's like, a policeman's like, hey, where are you going? Oh, any ch- by the way, any chance of a three-way? George, this is, um, this is, uh, this is mid-80s, this is pre-Weinstein, cops asking for three-ways off prostitutes. It's completely... <laughs> Speaking of Weinstein, we're <laughs> on to the massage scene. Are we going to do this? Is this a new, a new Weinstein massage special? No, we're not doing any Weinstein. What's a body massage? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get naked right you now. You want to go far in Hollywood? You got to give me a body massage. So again, it's supposed to be a funny scene that Terry Hatcher's giving. I think, I'm sure it's been done in countless films before. She's giving Gabriel cash. A, just say cash the the whole like it's supposed to be a funny scene because Ray Tango comes in and the dialogue's supposed to like sound oh, it doesn't like, work though they're supposed to sound like they're having sex and she's like no but it goes oh keep she's like oh keep it in keep it in push it in push, push it, it in. in have you got it in yet yes I've got it in it, it I've never any... had a massage like that she's I've massaging had... him and she's like saying to him, push it in, push it in. It doesn't make any sense. I, I don't, I think the story, the, the but, script writing really lets it down because the, you can see the com- the, the comedy uh, vehicle is sitting there. It's like, fool's messing with his sister. It's like, she's on top of him. They could say a number of things. They could be reinterpreted, yeah, misinterpreted. Yeah, and the script writing just really lets it down. I've but, been in a lot and, of uh, But then it gets even better because... The chief turns up. So for reasons. For reasons. So How does he know they're all there? Stallone does ju- matter? Stallone jumps through the window and apprehends him. A- then apprehends his um, 
short-term partner who's in drag. No, no, but at, but at this point, Cash is topless. No, well, and, well, and then is the, he? Yeah, he's okay. having a massage topless. He's and then they're all having a conversation, and then suddenly Cash is wearing women's clothing, and he's like, oh, yeah, I've got this tape that I got this bloke that sets us up. No, 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 but what I like to think that happens is that, so, Cash gets uh, Stallone's sister back, she's giving him a massage, and it's going really well. And the whole time, he's wearing ladies... No, no, but he's got his dress rolled down to his waist. But then, just as Stallone comes in, he's like, ha, I'm really going to wind him up. So he slips back into the dress, and that's when he realises he's got the tape. Am I reading too much into this? I think you're trying to give it too much credit. I think it works on levels that we're not aware of. So, uh, but Act I, 3 is being established because... But I've, I've missed the scene where Stallone goes to interrogate the corrupt cop. Oh, this uh, and is... We're getting to, which I, I think is a character, and I would say actor-defining moment for me with Sylvester Sloan, this scene. It's when he apprehends a corrupt cop who set them up. Who's 22 days twice-cooked pasta. Yeah, he, he's just getting a bowl of pasta out of his fridge, and he goes, From the look of your diet, you're not too interested in counting calories. Could it be that you were too busy counting the money you received from setting us up? He says all of that in one breath. So we cut to the final action scene. They've got the supercar from Q Branch. Why? Why can't they just storm the factory or sneak in and arrest him? They're still, they're still, uh, you know, still uh, criminals until proven innocent. Filthy criminals. My question is, why does Jack Palance have a self-destruct mechanism when he's not in the Bond film? Why does he have a room surrounded with mirrors? <laughs> because... <laughs> For no other reason. Since Stallone... It's confused and escape. Stallone watched Enter the Dragon after Police Story and thought it was a really good idea. No, uh, do you know what I mean? It's like, when would that room ever become useful? So I want you to build me a room of reflective mirrors. What's this going to be useful for? Well, if I ever need to escape with a hostage, I can stand next to a mirror and they won't know which one is me. Right. But won't you need to wait until they're close enough to see the... Anyway. Anyway. Can we come to some kind of a deal? I need a mouse maze and a mirror room. And we need lots of and weapons. He's a drug dealer and he's also an arms dealer. So when they... And I need some weapons as well and a self-destruct sequence. So when they storm his factory, not only is it full of drugs, it's also full of weapons. Weapons which are not being guarded, which they can easily get their hands on. And gunishment ensues. The thing I like, there's there's a scene where, like, the, the, in the rip-off of Enter the Dragon, they've got... For some reason, they've got Terry Hatcher's back. Uh, Jack Palance, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, has got a gun to her head. He's like, I got a kill her. I can do it. We do it now. And they both go, let's take him down. Let's aim for the knees. And then they both shoot him in the head. And their sights are off. <laughs> no, no, but their sights are off. But there's like... How do you know which one to go for? There were so many mirrors. That's another, like, dialogue black hole. Uh, this, and this explanation. And they both go very quickly. Well, obviously, it's, he had a signet ring. Yeah, was it, it the, was the signet ring? No, I saw the lapel. Yeah, what do you see? I saw the design of the jacket. That's fascinating. And it's all said so quickly. And a lot of the dialogue in the reshot scenes, it's very apparent. Because it's all real quick. They're all saying everything very quickly. It's like... We've only got the cameras for a certain amount of time. We have to say everything very quickly. We haven't got time to do another take. Okay, let's go, let's go, let's, let's do it. It stinks of Bowfinger. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we need to get the cameras back in the next five minutes. Stunt drivers. And then it ends with the sort of, the bickering, the bickering over Terry Hatcher. Did you sleep with my sister? I uh, don't forget about it. forget about it. And then they high five over Terry Hatcher. But before you can question, hey, that's a little bit wrong, 
oh no, wait, we're back in newspaper territory. It's a headline, the high-fiving again. It's moulded in. Tango and Cash, save the day, boom. And I've just got my notes. Thank God it's over. (laughs) Right, George, I want to bring you back because you missed it. We normally pick up on these things, but there is a certain scene when, when we were talking about how did Eve Perret get in... Yves Perret. How did, how did the Eves Perret get back into the prison? That scene where they're both being slowly dropped into Lord. the basin into and then the being killed through a very Bond sort of slow killing device. There's this really weird thing that goes on that it happens to both of them. It happens really slowly and it's slightly terrifying and the, the tone and style completely changes tact and it's like one of them is being slowly lowered into the water and electrocuted. And as it's happening to Cash, you see Tango, Tango, sorry, Butch Stallone looks at him and screams, Cash. And then when it's happening to Tango, he screams, Tango. It's one of the most homoerotic. It's just a really weird scene. I think it's a very misunderstood love story between... Which is why we've done it for uh, Valentine's Day. Two misunderstood men. If there isn't a special lady or man in your life, then we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. This is an episode for the tango to your cash. George, how do we insert seven headlines to explain the plot of this podcast? We can't, but we can (laughs) insert some good old-fashioned Celine Dion, coulda, woulda, shoulda. So, George, who else was considered I, for the roles? I don't think I have enough time to go through... Can we do the Monty Python sensible and silly thing where you just say a name? And I, uh, cause, No, because the, uh, the point I, I'm trying to make is this film was considered in one stage to be a serious, hard-hitting, gritty, gritty. cop drama. And in the other extent, they're like, let's make this like... Um, a silly, funny Beverly Hills Cop 2. So if you just run through the names, so, I'll say sensible or silly. So I've had to edit some of these, and it's still... Well, you mean there were more? And it's still a, a long list. Michael Bean. Sensible. sensible. Pierce Brosnan. Sensible. Maybe you shouldn't be living here. Um, Kevin Costner. Sensible. Richard Gere. S- uh, sensible. Sensible. Mel Gibson. Sensible. Well, you could do a little crazy. bit silly, a little bit crazy. Don Johnson, silly. Michael Keaton, too busy with Batman. <laughs> too busy with Batman in the same year. You want to get nuts? Yeah. Ray Liotta, silly. Liam Neeson, crazy. No, no. Back in the nineties, he was very sensible. Gary Oldman, again, crazy. T- well, sensible back then. Bill Paxton, crazy. Crazy. Ron Perlman. Existed back then? Dennis Quaid. Silly. Gary Sinise. That can't be right. Gary Sinise? He wasn't even a thing then. Bruce Willis. Sensible. I think he would have been... You know, Crazy! Would've, you know, he would have played well against... Well, actually, there, there's some trivia for you. Apparently, you know, um, in The Expendables, Bruce Willis turns up as the CIA guy. Apparently that role was originally written for Kurt Russell. And you can do it. That's a coulda, woulda, shoulda within a coulda, woulda, shoulda. I'm not finished. Uh, James Woods. Oh, imagine Stallone and James Woods in a film together. Specialist. Specialist. (laughs) And that's it. That's all I've got. I'm I'm, I'm tired. I can't can't be honest anymore. Celine, you're going to have to go back in your book. So, why did we pick this film, George? Why did we force ourselves to watch this film? I've learned a lot watching this film. Now, I just want to go on record in saying that I love Rocky, I love Rambo. Yes, I have watched The Specialist, but I've been slightly perplexed or confused by um, the recent outtakes of um, The Expendables. Like, it was like Stallone completely got what he should be doing, i.e., a parody of all of those films that made him big in the 80s and 90s, and then he plays the films completely straight-laced. It's like what he's done with The Expendables, and you can see it in this film. He he wants to be everything 
but he can't accept that he is Rocky and Rambo. He wants to be Eddie Murphy, Bruce Willis and Arnie, but I, he is... I think if you've seen the film Stop All My Mom Will Shoot, you'll realise this man has no concept of comedy. Yeah. No, but he wants to. Do you know he, what I mean? Oh, he, he wants, wants to. He's intelligent enough he, to want to oh. do that. He wants that. Whereas I would argue that other actors of that time... They, Arnie. Van Damme. Willis. Pacino, De Niro, they know their place. They know they know their hmm. range. They know no, like no, De Niro. No, but, no, you no, wouldn't but, find De Niro in an action film. You wouldn't find Jean Claude Van Damme doing, you know, like some no, no, period but, piece. No, no, but they, I would, I would argue that Schwarzenegger can do comedy. Yes. Van, but Stallone Van, 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 Van Damme can do comedy to a certain point. Van Damme's got a very good sense of humour about himself in um, real life. But Stallone really struggles. No, this this film uh, highlights it's, it's, to it's, me it's, it's, it's so not much about Stallone. Like he has a really complicated, like this whole thing, this character, and like forgive us if you think we're over analysing here, but this need that he is on one hand a maverick cop who closes, who catches all the bad guys, but is also a stockbroker, but, but also cares also about about his sister and the little man. It just screams to me like somebody who doesn't really have uh, an idea of what his place is do you know what I mean finger on the pulse no it just I watching this film like this film is a very strange film we joked about it calling it troubled and confused it's uncomfortable there's some very funny scenes but he took control of it he made he is the reason why this film exists for, for better as or in worse. the words of the director he held the film together yeah. but I don't think it's the best advert for his traits I think what it screams out is here is a man who wants the world to take him seriously for which not even he is sure well that's it I mean Kurt Russell comes off he's as, perfect he knows exactly what to do he turns up and he's like I'm Kurt Russell he's, he's brash he's he's annoying but he does the Kurt Russell thing he does the the Jack Burton thing. Big that Trouble. was the name I couldn't remember. I was for, like, Jack Burton's walked onto the set. Yeah, for, from Big Trouble in China. He does that brash, confident thing that works. Stallone does it. And that was a thing that... There's even... There's even but a what ju- is Stallone in this no, film? No. Is he the fast-talking Eddie Murphy? Or is he the Arnie, nothing can hurt no. me? He doesn't know no, who no, he wants to be in this film. He is so many different characters. That's the problem with this film. There's even a joke. Oh, uh, I'm bad cop he's worse cop and the fact is they're both dicks there's, there's no straight man there's they're both really unlikable yeah, but people who who the, do you know who's, alone should be straightish but so, whose door do you put that at who was the guy who was running this film no but th- that is the thing is that say what you want and yes we have are you quoting Texas at me <laughs> no, I'm just saying we may be accused of being uh, Arnie Lovins, but I do, I do love Stallone. I've got a lot of respect for him. I went and I enjoyed films like when I was in my teens. I enjoyed watching The Specialist, and then I enjoyed even more looking back at it a few years later, realizing, realizing how silly it is. However, Arnie knows his limits. Van Damme knows <laughs> his limits. Stallone know your limits. No, no, Stallone thinks that the world underrates him. Whereas the other two don't. And I think this film highlighted it to me. It was like, there's something really weird going on in this film. Like, the reason why he didn't want to let go, the reason why he wanted the directors and he wanted to change everything, is like, he was like, guys, this is my comedy vehicle. This is going to show the world that I can be Eddie Murphy. And everyone is just like, well, keep paying us. And It's an anomaly. I think we've established that. And... At the end of the day, you and I watched it separately. And I think we both... Oh, we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed enjoyed it. it. And I think that... It's one hour 44 or 54. It's not even that. I think it's like one hour 35 or something. Did you watch all the credits? But yeah, that's it. Like, interesting thing is, is that we we are watching these films again. Some of them, like, for the first time in a long time. However bad this was, it was a lot of fun because... Of Kurt Russell. It's so fucking weird. Well, I mean, to me, it's like, Kurt Russell's great. Um, I even think supporting actors are good. Terry Hatch is good. Jack Palance has been Jack Palance. They've Brian James. Been, they've all been better elsewhere. We've yeah. established that. But you can clearly see that this was, as we talked about in the beginning. Project. No, not just, it was a vanity project for Stallone. And it was a car crash of a film for everybody else. Yeah. So, But bizarrely, 
when you look on Google, you type in, as I have typed in, Tango and Cash, quickly comes up Tango and Cash 2 question mark. Some people, there's quite a lot of people out there that are clamouring for a sequel to this. And most of them are Sylvester Sloan. I think it might be the Jack Penlance and Sylvester Sloan fan. I've got two little fans. What a Bond, the Bond bad guy that never was. Ray Tango, how he loves to dance. He waltzes in and takes all my drugs. And then Tango's back out again. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Tango and Cash. We're sorry that if we've, if we've, if you feel like we've bashed Sylvester Stallone too much, I apologise. We actually enjoyed watching this film. We don't remember. It's been a long time. I regret nothing. It's a really strange film. If you're stuck for something to do on a Saturday night, just get it on. You know, get it on. Pick your favourite tipple, you know, whether it's a glass of wine or a beer or just, you know. You As know, just, Stallone just, says... Just do it. Just do it, yeah. So um, this has been Retro Ramble. You can get us on all the social medias um, if all of them are still running while you're listening to this and there hasn't been an apocalypse. Yeah, we're at retroramble.blog. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Please leave us a review on uh, iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell us alone. We're still on CFAX. Page 606, right? Sky text. 303. So for this month I've been Charlie McGee. I think I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Why don't you just admit it that you guys work well together? Oh yeah. Well, no matter what you say, Ray, I've at least earned the right. To date your sister. <laughs> Over my dead body. Deal? <laughs> <laughs>